Coming to you live from a malignant version of Idaho, I'm Tom Rich, and with me as always are evil little potato men, and this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode negative three, don't frown brown clown, downtown brown town. Welcome back to the worst podcast on the internet. I'm Johanna Stauffer. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong studio. I need to go. And I guess I'm doing this one by myself today. And I'm Clint Cosby. Wow. Co-host of the worst podcast on the internet. <laughs> Good to be with you, Johannes. Thanks, Clint. No problem. So, what's our topic for tonight on the worst podcast on the internet? Are you a robot? No. Okay. Uh, I actually don't remember. That is un... Programming games. Pro- oh, right. Programming games. Cool. We're going to talk about those. That's what's going to happen, and then we are going to uh, move on with our lives. Great to have you here, Clint. I know, right? Isn't it? Isn't it great to have me, Clint Cosby, star of stage and screen? Is that a real person? Should I know who that is? No, it's a mashup of Clint Eastwood and Bill Cosby. Okay. Because I feel like that's a funny combination, although it turns out with the thing about Bill Cosby, maybe that's not a funny joke anymore. I I I don't understand. I don't know. Like, he did, he did maybe a bad thing. Not that maybe it was bad, but maybe he did it. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not even following it. Right. But does that make the things that he did before that were good well, it dep- invalid? It depends on if your view of epistemology is primarily phenomenological or chronological. Now, in a phenomenological view, you're going to run across an issue where it's primarily aesthetic, whether or not uh, vis-a-vis issues, the problem is more conceptual or, in fact, concrete. Whereas in uh, the second type of viewpoint, you're not going to run into that issue, but you're going to run into significant theological and hermeneutical issues. Yeah, so, see, that almost was convincing until right at the end there. And uh, then just, you're, yeah. I panicked. Shut up, Clint. I know, right? What was the thing? George Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing. Uh, what was the thing? Uh, yeah, you said something was a uh, a product of George a, Clinton's administration. A figment. a figment of George Clinton's administration. I was going for a figment of somebody's imagination. I think it was Bill Clinton's imagination, but I don't know. You got George Clinton's administration, yeah, yeah. which he didn't have one. Well, no, because he was in um he was in the Parliament Funkadelic, right? Sure. So he would have had an administration. If it, well, I guess it would only be if he was the prime minister of the parliament. Yeah, I, I don't think the parliament itself has it. In, I, I think the let's, parliament let's is check. a is a part. Of the administration. So George Clinton is an American funk music. There was also a vice president of, named George Clinton. Nope. Yeah. No, Not true. Ju- no. Lies. Whose vice president was he? Uh, let's see here. He was born in 1739, so probably somebody pretty early, but I don't remember exactly who. He was vice president from 1805 to 1812 under Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. Oh, he's the uh, the former governor of uh, New York. So he would have dug the Erie Canal, which was also known as Clinton's Big Ditch. Oh. But anyway, back to George Clinton. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you knew that or if you read it online and uh, just right now and then, and then read it aloud as though you knew it. You'll never know. So apparently George Clinton was the mastermind of both the bands Parliament and Funkadelic. So there was no... Parliament Funkadelic. Well, but no, but later on in the paragraph, it mentions 15 other members of Parliament Dash Funkadelic. So maybe they were associated acts or something. Wow. Is it like the Jeffersons were then like Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Airship and Jefferson Starship? And then they were moving but on. But never up Jefferson to the, Starplane? To the east side? To a deluxe apartment in the sky? Yeah. Moving on up? Yeah. To no, the okay. east nope, side? Nope. Finally we're done. got a piece we're done. of the pie. Stop it. <laughs> So yeah, so George Clinton did have an administration when he was the prime minister of funk in the Parliament Funkadelic. 
Oh, see, so he was the yeah, because the mastermind. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but so, but as a vice president, he didn't have his own administration. He was really a part of a part of two different administrations. Yeah. but but that's a different George Clinton though. So depending on which George Clinton we're talking about, or was it? Holy crap! You guys, I think we just uncovered something big. Here. A deep truth here that George Clinton. Singer, songwriter, band leader, and music producer of Parliament Funkadelic was, in fact, also George Clinton, former governor of New York and vice president under two different early American presidents. This is big, you guys. This is going to put the mildly alarming podcast on the map. The map. It's going to be right near the Erie Canal, which this George Clinton dug before launching his funk career. Can we put it somewhere further north? Because I feel like I would be hot, sweaty, and uncomfortable Near the Erie Canal? Near the Are you thinking of the Panama Canal? Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's actually colder. Yeah, near let's Lake go there. I'm, the, I'm fine with that. Where we you are. know what confused me, actually? The Animaniac song, 40 Miles on the Panama Canal, which is to the tune of the Erie Canal song. But, uh, okay. So I don't know okay. which one is which anymore. Well, the, well, you know, now, um, at the risk of being condescending... The Panama Canal is in Panama, and the Erie Canal is connected to Lake Erie. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, but that's not how I view the world. Fair enough. If there are songs, geography is out the window. Just gone. Legit. Doesn't matter. So my question now, at this point, is George Clinton was governor of New York, vice president of the United States, dug a ditch, whatever. And then later on, he was a funk musician. Yeah. What did he do in the interim? What was he up to? Learning how to be a funk musician. That is a long pro. Like, I, I guess he had to wait for funk music to develop. Yeah. Because there wasn't funk music in George Washington. Or he had time. to create it. Who knows? So, so did he retreat like a hermit to the mountains to create funk? I mean, he may have created it immediately and then just it took that long to become, you know, publicly accepted so mm. that he could. So he needs to wait become until. Become. The prime minister of some sort of funk parliament. Oh, the, the, the parliament funkadelic. Right, that one. So he, he had to wait for the opportune moment to unleash the funk upon the world. It's the long game. It, it's a very long game. It's, it's a multi-century game. Yeah. Really. So way uh, to go, uh, George Clinton. I do, have, I do have one other question here, and uh, pardon me if this is inappropriate to ask, but I feel like I need to bring it up. No, I will not make out with you on the air. Okay, I have a second question. Okay. Uh, and my feelings are only a little bit hurt. Um, George Clinton in one of the pictures that I'm seeing is a, uh, stuffy white man. And in the other picture that I'm seeing is, well, the sort of black man you would expect to see in a band called Parliament Funkadelic. He's dressed sharp is what I'm saying, but also kind of loud. What, uh, how do we bridge that gap? Uh, I have, I have two possible answers. Okay. One of them is first photo is black and white. <laughs> go on second one is i don't really see race i think you're being a little a little a little bigoted just a little you know, bigoted. a little okay fair enough you know i i did lead a sheltered life so perhaps I'm just not used to... In the to... cornfields of southern Iowa. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering. Yeah. But I think the, I think the black and white photography, uh, that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, it could be uh, a negative. You could be colorblind. Mm, that could be, yeah. Hold on, hold, hold, up, hold up some fingers. Let, let's find out. Let's find out real quick. Are those green? Not even close. Okay, try it again. Give me another one. I, I can get it this time. Uh, orange. No. <sighs> Colorblind. The best thing about that bit that just happened is that I actually held up different numbers of fingers for him to look at. <laughs> I think the second best bit is that we did a more or less entirely visual gag on a, yeah. on a podcast. Oh, yeah. yep. Um, we're great at this. Yeah, we're, we're, it's really just not a good podcast. That's why. It, it really it goes to show, I was right at the beginning of the episode, best podcast on the internet. Right, right. Yeah, that's what you said, right? Yes. Okay. So we're going to talk about games uh, that use the programming mechanic today, right? 
I think that was the plan, yeah. Tom looked very puzzled, but he was also in the middle of slurping some G&T out of a No, what, what happened was jar mug. the ice had melted down to there. It was just these tiny little, little like chiclets. Yeah. And they hit my teeth and I forgot there was ice in it at all. And I thought, why is there like grit in my gin and tonic? And I had to figure that out real quick. In my I mouth. actually just dropped a fistful of chiclets into your G&T oh, okay. when I made That's it. That's nice of you. Thanks, buddy. I figured when you were done drinking, you might want some uh, old-timey gum. My <laughs> teacher in second grade was obsessed with chiclets. Every other teacher I've ever had was like, if you chew it gum in school, I will punch your face in. Mm. He was like, listen, chiclets, man. Chiclets are where it's at. And they came in this weird little box. like mm-hmm. he, So we got a huge case of them that had like hundreds of chiclets. In little tiny boxes that looked like old-timey safety razor blades should come in these boxes Mm -hmm. with two chiclets in it. And if you did something right, he'd pull them off the top of a cupboard that we couldn't reach because we were second graders. Well, you could have reached it. I'm probably. Joe, because he's very tall. And he would give us some chiclets. Mm -hmm. And that is all I can think of when I hear chiclet. Mm -hmm. So, uh that's a piece of my life that now is in your brain forever, taking up space that you could have used to learn something about quantum physics. Or George Clinton. Or both. True. All I remember can think of when people tell teacher candy stories is uh, the social studies teacher from our high school who had – the man smoked like a chimney. Like he would beat the students out the door at the end of the day to go get his first cigarette that he would have been able to have all day. Technically, the teachers at the high school were required to stay for an hour after the end of the last class because they were supposed to – be there for students who had questions Mm -hmm. he would i had a last hour class a sixth hour class with him he would lock the door 15 minutes before the last bell tell us to make sure the lights were off and it closed behind us (laughs) and sprint out to his car in the teacher's lot yep to have a cigarette with the windows rolled up well he was largely useless the last couple hours of the day from nicotine withdrawal he his hand shook so much no exaggeration he could no longer write on the whiteboard and so he had these jolly ranchers and other assorted hard candy in his desk which he would give out as rewards during like review games oh yeah only you did not under any circumstance eat them because if you knew he would oh no 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 the werther's originals were the worst because those were his candy Mm mm-hmm and he only gave them to you if he really liked you. And yeah. that's where the nervous tick came in. He would sit there. You want, you want to take it? No? He would sit there at his desk and he would unwrap them. And then he would rewrap them. And his fingers just just felt everywhere. They just got into all of the parts of the candy. And then they were rewrapped and put back in the drawer. And then they were given away. And you ate them and you got um, nicotine poisoning. Because it just came out of his fingers. He'd get way up in your face if you had, like, a question during a quiz. Ooh, it was rough. And his breath was dry like the desert wind. (laughs) I don't know that there was a drop of moisture in his body. He just was like a walking cigarette butt. (laughs) And the the reason this relates to chiclets is that even chewing Nicorette... All day long, uh-huh. he still couldn't really last past lunch hour oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and maintain his cool. Yep. One t- he was our uh, quiz bowl coach, and one time he wound up driving two of us. It wasn't me. I was in a different car to uh, uh, a meet, and then he was driving us all back to the – we were driving back to the high school afterward, and I'm in one car. We're following him, and we see him with his hand out the window just puffing. I'm, I'm miming it. Puffing and then blowing out the window. And we see, we passed them at one point, and we see the two guys in the backseat just miserable, like, please end it now. Just crash the car. <laughs> it smells so bad in here. Because he, he, that's what he would do. He would smoke in that car with the windows yeah. rolled up at the end of the day. So it had to, like, they took years off their life on that car. Just, ride. just getting into it. Yeah. Doctors were waiting for them at the high school, diagnosing them with lung cancer. <laughs> They they skipped emphysema and all other forms of COPD straight to lung cancer. It just hits hard just and fast. Boom. Boom. Cancered. Cancer jokes, because we're a classy podcast. Yep. So now that we're nearly 15 minutes into our first segment, let's talk about programming games. Sure. So what we mean by programming games are games like um, Space Alert or, or Game of Thrones or stuff like that where the players 
simultaneously set out a set of actions for their faction or their person or whoever to take. And then those actions are revealed and then resolved all at once. Action faction sounds like a 90s children's toy. Like something like the G.I. Joe action faction That's from Galoob or whoever made G.I. Joe. <laughs> so you kind of have to lay out your actions and plan ahead and then it all kind of resolves and you hope for the best. So that's kind of what we're talking about. And so our questions are, um, we don't have any questions. I don't know. You can't ask questions of an audience that uh, can't respond to you in real time. They're right there, right behind you in the studio. Uh, I don't, I can't see anything behind me. And so I don't believe that it's there. What, what, what happens to the world when you turn around? It disappears. What if you turned around right now? Would I disappear? Yeah. Try it. Don't do that again, please. <laughs> <laughs> it was very scary where I went. <laughs> <clears throat> we, uh, well, we, you played another programming game that I didn't get to play, and I'm incredibly jealous of you and will be forever, at least until it's actually released mm-hmm. uh, at Protospiel, the uh, 3D printed oh, yeah. ship. So it was this 3D game. printed ship space combat game. Where Do you remember what it was called? I don't. I don't know that he had a final title, actually. Okay. We've talked about it before, though, where you had the three levels of a board, and you had to program your ship to move in 3D space around and fight each other. Um, and that one, you would lay out. Th- everybody would lay out three cards that would d- govern their ship's next three actions at once. You'd reveal them and then simultaneously re- and then resolve them in order. And so you had to kind of guess what the other players would do. Yeah. And so the big problem that I feel like these games run into... Uh, I like them. I think they're an interesting way to do things. Um, is uh, analysis paralysis because it's very easy to just sit there forever hemming and hawing and thinking, you know, 14 steps down the chain of, well, I know he's going to do that. So he knows I know he's going to do this. He's going to do this, that, and the other, and bouncing back and forth and never really coming to a conclusion. And then everybody hates you because you took too long to take your turn. So I'm wondering if there's any idea you have for designing that kind of a system and mitigating that kind of paralysis in a programming type game. Well, I wonder how much analysis paralysis is really a problem in programming, at least in real-time programming. Mm-hmm. So uh, my only experience with programming games is real-time. So in in uh, um, Space Alert, mm-hmm. you have a set amount of time. There's actually a track that you play. They send you a CD, and they also give you a link um, to download a bunch of MP3s that you can play. And it has... It sets a timer for how long your your programming segment of the game is, and it tells you when things happen, so you are basically in line with mm-hmm. how the resolution of all of your actions will happen at the end, um, and so you're locked into a time of, you know, 11 minutes or something, and it makes it so that analysis paralysis is a problem, but there's also already sort of a limit on it mm-hmm. because you know there's a deadline. And it's like, listen, if I don't do this, they also break up. How many turns do you take in a standard? Is it 12? 12, yeah. 12 broken up into? Three. Three segments. Three segments. Yep. That doesn't sound right. I think there's more turns than that because that would only be four. At any rate, maybe it is. Maybe it's four. You um, So you, you have your first four turns basically and you Mm -hmm. you have you know until the the timer says okay move on to the next segment and once you move on to the next segment you can't make any changes to your first four turns and then when you move on to the next second segment you can't make any changes to the next to the you know the first eight turns Mm -hmm. so you get kind of locked in and that already sets a limit on your analysis paralysis to some degree and I think a person who's going to have analysis paralysis, who's going to be like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm I'm non-functional and useless in a situation where there's already not only a entire game deadline, but three little sub deadlines mm-hmm. and a lot of just intense stuff going on. I don't know how much you can mitigate that. Sure. I think it's mitigated as much as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um. I think more than that, the thing you need to mitigate in a in a programming game like that is making the the resolution phase. So you've programmed your turn now. How does it work out? Um, that being both engaging and interesting. Uh, well, I guess just engaging and interesting. Uh-huh. Um, how, how do you keep it from being like, okay, now I just get to watch this happen to that, me and unfold? That's a place where Space Alert kind of stumbles a little bit. And I feel like we often lose people we show it to where they're like, well, now we're just watching. What? 
I, I want to play the game, not just watch it. But yeah. then Space Alert is so intense in the programming phase that that's almost like cathartic to just be able to sit there and go, oh, <sighs> just kind of grunt a little bit. Well, Space Alert does have one small um, uh, mitigation factor mm-hmm. in that you can trip. Right. So say you say I moved left and you get to the uh, on turn six, you get to turn six in the resolution phase. You flip over your sixth card and you see you've played it upside down. And so your move left is in the wrong place. So you actually hit a button you didn't intend to hit. You can say I tripped. And that pushes everything down until the next turn. So it basically says I did nothing this turn. Mm hmm. But at least I'm going to move the way I needed to and hopefully get something done. Sure. So a little bit of that interaction there. There's a little bit of something you can do. It oh. usually still says, all right, well, we're hosed because we tried to carefully plan in our set out 11 minutes and we failed. Game, but, of, Game of Thrones does a similar thing, or actually takes it a little bit further than that, in that because you, you simultaneously place orders for all of your territories where you've got troops, mm-hmm. um, and then you reveal them, but you don't actually have to decide what those orders target ahead of time oh so like i might play a raid order in a a territory and it borders three different enemy territories all of which are valid targets for a raid i don't have to pick which one i want to raid ahead of time i can wait until it's my turn to resolve my raid and then say i get that i'm gonna go for that one or i'm gonna go for that one or i'm not gonna do anything at all so not not to go too far afield from the topic but how do they make that work without um giving a a leg up to people who take their turns later in the like in the rotation. Um. So you mean because they have more information? Yeah. Because so so you put your armies out, but you don't choose who they're gonna or your whatever your raiding parties. Your, your orders. I've never I've never played sure. the game. You you put you put your orders out, so you know you have an X number of raids raiding parties or whatever mm-hmm. out there, but you don't know who you haven't said who they're going to raid. First player's just like, well, I guess I'm gonna raid this guy and that guy hopefully that works out for me fourth player out of four goes i know exactly everything that's gonna happen or that has happened so now i know exactly where to send my troops in practice it winds up first of it winds up you're rarely you're you're i don't think anybody ever borders more than three people at a go on an average game so you don't have that many options Mm -hmm. and uh just as often you wind up with oh Thank Christ I get to go first with my raid and remove that thing that's super important before you get to go. Okay. Um, the other thing is that the, the t- resolution order is malleable over the course of the game. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a track that controls what order you resolve stuff like that in. And every so often you have to bid uh, these influence tokens to decide the order of that track. Sort of like in Eclipse where the, the Eclipse doesn't really have programming, but in Eclipse where the first person to say, I'm done, uh, Gets to go first the next yeah, time around. Yeah. Sort of, sort of, and it's a more chaotic. Sure, because it's not. It doesn't influence. It doesn't matter whether or not you were first or last previous. It matters how much you want it. Okay. How much? How much you've got these tokens you acquire? Sure. And how many? How, how much you're willing to sacrifice to get, get first to or there, whatever yeah. it is? And there's there's more going on to it too. But okay. In 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 my experience, at any rate, it hasn't felt like going first or last is ever a universal advantage. There, mm-hmm. it's kind of situational when you want to be going, and often it's not so much. I want to be at the top or the bottom. It's I want to be above that guy gotcha. or below, or gotcha. I want to go before that guy or after that guy. Okay. So uh, my, my experience with um, programming games is admittedly limited and I'm really having a hard time. Well, I guess I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around a game that would be fun that uses programming, mm-hmm. not in real time. I think, um, or, or at least not on a timer. Mm-hmm. That's where analysis paralysis becomes a problem. If you say, okay, program your turn and then we'll watch it resolve. Mm-hmm. And you have the analysis paralysis guy who's like taken forever and everyone else has got yeah. their, their turns put together. Now it's a problem. The easy answer to that is set a three minute timer or a 10 minute mm-hmm. timer, however long you think is reasonable and say, well, timer's up play the cards in your hand or don't play any cards and you just don't do anything on those turns Mm -hmm. tough you should have played your cards faster um but beyond that i don't know how much fun that would be like 
again, my limited experience with programming games has been in the real time arena. And that's why it's fun because you're like, crap, 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 crap. We need to get this done. Mm -hmm. We need to do it now because the timer's running out. Oh, no, a new ship appeared. We might need to change our last couple turns to adjust for that. That's interesting. I think regardless of how you feel about Space Alert um, as a game you do or don't enjoy, I think mechanically it did what it set out to do. Mm-hmm. It created that we just jumped into a place where being attacked from all sides, we just need to wait for the engines to spin up so we can jump out again. Almost a Battlestar kind of combat scenario mm-hmm. and made it what that would be. Now, if it's too panic-inducing, if it's too difficult, if it's too whatever, fine. Play a different game. But I think they did what they set out to do correctly. I, again, not having played Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. I feel like the analysis paralysis thing outside of a real-time game probably is a real problem. It's worse there, yeah. They mitigated a little bit because you don't have infinite options. Like, mm-hmm. you've got a fairly curtailed set of orders you can do. Well, that's the case even in, in the timed one in, in yeah. Space Alert. Yeah, you've got a fairly curtailed set of orders, and you, you rarely have all that many territories to put them on. So you're like, well, I have to pit, I have two two raids, and I've only got a total of six territories, and I know I have to do you know, a defend here and a march here, so just not a whole lot. Not, a whole, not so many decisions that it's overpowering. Yeah. Uh, but it's still bad. It still runs into it quite a bit. So this is probably a problem just with my level ex- of experience, but I'm having a hard time separating functionally timed games and programming games. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking it would be interesting to see uh, a game like Dominion played with a timer. No, uh-huh. it's not necessarily programming. And I don't think you could do programming with Dominion because other people's turns interact with you too mm-hmm. much and might make you lose cards off the top or whatever. I don't know. What do you think? Or you, you sound like you had something to say. You know what's an interesting programming game? What's that? Bonanza, the finest bean farming game ever made. Because you're kind of because the order of the cards are in your hand matters, and so you're trying to r- manipulate which card is going to be at the end of your hand first to go uh, on your turn to go into your bean plots. That's almost not programming so much as like editing someone else's code. <laughs> awesome. Because you can't. You almost can't control the order. Like, the order in Bonanza is set. Your cards are in your hand, mm-hmm. and they're coming through in the order they're, they entered your hand, except for a few little things Tweaks where you, yeah, you trade true. traded cards. I, I don't even remember Bonanza well enough to know for sure where it came in. Something about trading cards or selling cards. Selling cards will get them out of your hand. Mm-hmm. Trading cards, do they go back in at the end, or do they... I don't remember. Yeah, so so... Sort of programming, but very limitedly, you're basically trying to manipulate the order that has already been set out for mm-hmm. you. So I'd hesitate to call it programming. I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're right. It's it, it's on the edge, uh, but it's probably not a programming game in the sense of Space Alert or whatnot. So it sounds like we like this mechanic and Space Alert, which is the game we've played it significantly, but it feels like it wants a timer just to keep that paralysis down because you can. It it runs into kind of a, almost like a chess problem where you you pretty much, there is an optimal move and with enough brain power, you can puzzle it out. And so somebody's going to be tempted to do it, yeah. even though it takes forever and a day. So you yeah. need something to keep them from doing that. Oh, I meant, I meant to say this earlier. Maybe I did already. It's a, the difference between chess and speed chess. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it would yeah. be the difference between a game with and without a timer. Duh. Like that—that that is what the difference is, <laughs> right? But yeah, yeah, like you—it fundamentally changes the game. Mm-hmm. If you're playing chess and you can take as long as you want to figure out your move, you could be there forever. Especially playing a player with analysis paralysis, and in a game like chess with all those intricacies, I would be the one with analysis paralysis, kind of be like, "Well, when I could do this, maybe I could do that." Give me a minute while I read an entire book on chess moves, <laughs> and then. You add a timer into it, and now someone who maybe uh, has a lot of moves memorized is still going to be like, well, I might not have made an optimal move, but it's the move I feel comfortable making without running out the clock because I need to save that time for later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I I like 
programming games with a timer. I have yet to see in my limited experience a programming game without one that seems to work mm. well. I think I think you need a limited amount of programming on it and like kind of cycles of it because the the spaceship game from Protospiel worked pretty well and you were only programming three moves at a time. No timer. No timer. Yeah. Okay. But I, and again, that was all designers, so I'm, who are all making a good faith effort to play the game and and do it. So, um, I I think. Or we'll we'll drag this segment over time a little bit. Um, the uh, the difference between a programming game competitively, like the spaceship game, mm-hmm. and cooperatively, like Space Alert, I think is probably pretty big. Mm. Because if you're all working together, you've programmed your moves, and you then you finish that programming phase, and you just watch everything resolve. And maybe you do or don't. And and I think this is a good point that. During the resolution phase, you want some input. Mm-hmm. Um, we've brought it before on the air, though. I think it disappeared into the void of of screwed up sound equipment. Um, the game, a gratuitous space battles, where mm-hmm. you build your ships, you build your fleet, but the game is really just kind of watching the battle play out with what you built, and you don't have any input on how everything works. Um, that's okay, as long as everything resolves quickly. But if it takes a while to resolve, that's okay. But add a way during the resolution phase for people to continue to influence what's going sure. on. It's that goes back to that meaningful decisions are important in game engagement and mm-hmm. interest. And if it's going to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if it's going to take anywhere close to as long as the programming phase took for the resolution phase to finish... Mm-hmm. You need to put something in there for stuff to be changed. So for for space alert, the program phase you're looking at ten minutes because it's the length of the track, and you're probably yeah. not looking at much much more or less than that. I think it's resolution. shorter, but not by a ton. Yeah, on resolution. Mm-hmm. Now that's great together, um, cooperatively, because you are all being like, "Oh, we screwed up there. Oh, we did great there. Oh, it worked out, even though I screwed up earlier." Mm-hmm. Actually, tripping ended up helping us, and you're kind of. Waiting with bated breath together mm-hmm. to see how the thing works out competitively to be like, oh, I screwed up my programming. It's just like now not only didn't I do amazing, I did maybe even less amazing. And I already didn't think I was going to do all that great because the cards or whatever available mm-hmm. to me weren't very good. And I just have to watch it happen to me. That sucks. Yeah. So I think. Pretty much in any circumstance in a programming game, you need a a trip. That's mm-hmm. that's the the terminology from Space Alert. You need a way to say, "Wait, no, I I played that card upside down. Sure, that's not the one I meant to play. I don't get to just say, "No, I actually meant to do this. Just give me that turn." You gotta but have some. You gotta have to a penalty, it. but some way to continue to influence even once the programming phase sure. is over. Makes sense to me. Yeah, thoughts? I like it. No, that's you said it right. You want to take a stab at a programming game? Why not? Here's a pitch. Programming game. You have to bake a pie or whatever. Make some minestrone. I don't know. You have now we're on a timer. You have X amount of time depending on the recipe to do it right as cards come through. You you you're baking cooperatively. Why mm-hmm. not? And then timer ends. Okay, put your in the oven. <laughs> Does a pie come out? Or does some piece of garbage you wouldn't want to eat come out? I'd play it. I'd play it once, <laughs> maybe. And then I'd be like, these designers clearly did this in 12 seconds on a podcast. What a bunch of... So if you think we're out, <laughs> let us know on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. You could send us an email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. You could hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash mildlyalarmingshow. Or on the website at www.mildlyalarming.com. In the comment section for this episode, you could put it in another episode, but we might not have any idea what you're talking about. Or you could bake it in a pie and eat it and uh, use it to nourish your body and then use that nourishment to contact us in one of those earlier ways that I talked about, because that would be better. Yep. He talked about them. We both talked about them. A little bit. We're a team. Teamwork. Yeah. That was the quietest high five ever because my mic boom stand got in the way. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Yay, yay. When I was a boy, I used to go down to the park and see the Whistler City Cyclops practice. Watch the players knock the dirt off the shoes. 
wait around in the parking lot until those electric lights popped on and the fireflies came out in the field across the way. Used to hope I'd find a pop ball somewhere. Knew I wanted to play from my earliest days. One time I was getting my bicycle and I saw the big man himself, Scoot Boogs, coming out the stadium. Finest ball handler the Cyclops ever had. Soft hands and a hard pitch. Anyway, I was feeling saucy that day and I told old Scoot I was going to be a better ball player than him when I got big. I'll never forget it. He didn't laugh, didn't really react much. Just nodded there in the late autumn cool and said, Kid, you want to play ball like me, you got to do two things. Can you do two things, kid? I said, sure, because I could do two things. I wasn't a dummy. First thing, he says, is throw the ball every day. You throw the ball every day? I said, sure. Second thing, he said, is inject old champ anabolic steroids straight into the thick part of your thigh. It's made with real horse glands and there ain't no substitute. Then he gave me his cap, tussled my hair, and went off. Been dosing myself with old champ ever since. Got three Golden Glove Awards, a silver turtle head statue, and hair just falling out and sprouting all over the place. Just like old Scoot. Never will forget that night. Not as long as I live. Old Champ Anabolic Steroids. Glory is waiting. Now, just, just hold on a second. Just, just, just relax a for a minute. Se- a whole second. A whole second. Let me get this straight. You put the lime in the coconut and drank them both up. I put the lime in the coconut and called the doctor and woke him up. You put the lime in the coconut and drank them both together. Yeah. I said, doctor. Do we have to keep going with this? No, we can stop whenever you're ready. <laughs> I'm actually glad that, that you brought that up because I've been trying to remember what song it was that had the line. Now, let me get this straight. In it, and it's that one. It's that's, that one. That's it's the, the, one. the that's lime the song. and the coconut the lime and the coconut. We were talking uh, on the break there. Um, I always thought it was drink them bowl up, which doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But he's clearly not saying both. Mm-hmm. But he's saying boat. Boat. Which is both. Boat. Drink them boat up. Drink them boat up. So, uh. Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast, everyone, which is a lot like being trapped inside of our one collective mind that we share. We're so sorry. We're so very sorry for you, poor people. It's the best kind of purgatory I can think of, but probably the worst one for anyone else. Yeah. I don't think it's canonical. We would have to check with the Pope if that's actually how purgatory works. We'll get him on next week. Well, clearly somebody thinks he's nearby because there's that huge billboard that just says, thanks, Pope Francis. Yep. On the freeway near here. Like maybe a couple miles away. There's just a huge LED billboard that says, thank you, Pope Francis. We're not sure who is thanking him or what they are thanking him for, but they are grateful to that Pope. There is no other information on this billboard. Zero. And it's not in a place where he would ever have been on his visit to the United States. No, he's stuck to the eastern seaboard, as I recall. It's certainly not. Whitmore Lake. Yeah, no, it's it's this is not a I'm pretty sure that this is primarily Rastafari country up here. So really the, the Pope doesn't have a lot of business up this way. Uh but even even were it were were it a, a hotbed of of popery, he probably wouldn't visit Michigan in general because there's just more people elsewhere. Like and you're gonna even the biggest Michigan diocese is not gonna compete with something like Boston or or New York or Catholic Town, Maine. Good old Catholic Town. Yeah, there's so many of them there. They all live there because that's it's where it gets the name. You know, I bet if the United States were around a few hundred years earlier, they probably would have put. The Vatican in Catholic Town, Maine. You know, they would have said, you know, we're thinking Rome might be appropriate. But Catholic Town. It's got the name just really screams for us to build, to forge our global church there. But alas, it was not meant to be. It was not. Catholic Town had not been discovered yet. And so now it is oddly like 68 
100% Lutheran. Yeah. Very strange. Um, but it does... And the lead... rest of them are wicked. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it does mean, though, that uh, Catholic Town Maine is um, uh, an excellent source of customers for door makers and door repair services because, you know, those Lutherans... Just every time they've got beef about something, just nailing that business to a door. Just so much, so much nailing to doors. And I guess it's good for the nail makers too. And, oh yeah, and the purveyors yeah, yeah. of they hammers make out like bandits. Just, just absolute bandits because you know you've just got these roving packs of Lutherans going around nailing grievances to doors. What else are you gonna? You know, the real problem comes when a lot of doors these days, especially on churches and other mm-hmm. larger non-home establishments have these uh metal frame doors that are mostly just glass windows and let me tell you as a lutheran (laughs) pounding a nail into that is tough now i i had heard her i'd read about some lutherans would go around with a a a van with an air compressor and 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 you know they'd have the 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 hose and the nail gun and they would use that to to drive their their theses into the doors that's Theses of the TH, th. not enough. Um, is that frowned upon? Like, is that is that like an Amish person getting a motorcycle? No, no, or- no, no, no. As Lutherans, you know, nail those theses to whatever door you want in whatever way. But the real problem with the glass is that it uh, has been known to shatter. Ah, yes, 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 yes. And yes. so now good, good Lutheran nail makers have started making these sort of self-tapping diamond-coated nails Wow! that'll just punch right through a sheet of glass without shattering it. Impressive. Now, so, yeah, now you can you can take your grievances right on down to uh, your local Walmart or <laughs> the public high school, whatever, and, and nail, nail them right into the glass door there and uh, hopefully not set off the burglar alarm. Just like Martin Luther would have wanted. Yeah. Now... If you run out of nails, can you staple them, or is that not that's not on? Not so much on the stapling. I mean, yeah, I guess if you attach it, it's okay. And it, it really, it'll depend on the synod, mm-hmm. um, what what what, okay, what, yeah. what manner of fastener they they tend to accept. I'm sure tape is right out. Ta- t- yeah, the you can't tape, tape's that. no good. It, it could blow away. You know, right, it's not right. it's not going to stay there. It's not going to stand the test of time. Is there a preferred uh, writing material? Like, is it, is paper required? Because I I feel like in in Catholic town Maine, that's in Maine, you're going to get a noista coming up, and that's just going to you know, no matter how hard you nail it, that paper is going to blow away. So, like, can you make it out of wood and yeah, nail it? To I, the door? I don't think there's a problem with that. Okay, gotcha. As long as it's on there, it's more about the grievances really than the you know. You know those Lutherans always sharing their grievances. It's it's the it's the uh, it's the spirit of the law more than the letter. <laughs> Did you know though that like oh my God. when when so seriously a little more but not a lot uh, the 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 school or whatever that that Luther attended mm-hmm. was a part of. Um, it was actually like sort of a tradition to nail your whatever to the door of mm-hmm. that church at Wittenberg. It was like a thing that, that it was almost like your your doctoral thesis was mm-hmm. to like nail it to the door of the church. So he wasn't like the first one like, oh, oh, he nailed something to the door of the church. What a rebel. That was like what was done. You mm-hmm. did that. It's just, what people, but but it was only at, at that particular establishment. That was the one. And so, but other, like if I went down the road to, the next town over from Wittenberg, nobody would know what I was talking they about. They probably wouldn't appreciate your your thing nailed to their door so much. So really, it wasn't so much Luther is, As doing, I understand is doing this amazing new thing. It's like suddenly everybody becomes aware of it because of the content of his nailing. And yeah, like, yeah the, like the 95 theses were pretty so the, groundbreaking, right. but the nailing to the door wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. So the Pope probably got it and he's like, what the hell is this? And why did he nail it to a door? Freaking hillbillies. <laughs> that could very well be. <laughs> what I like is that later on, that church burned and was gutted. And when they when they fixed it all up, they, mm-hmm. they rebuilt those doors out of bronze with the 95 theses etched in them forever. They're just there. I think they're still awesome. there. That, that church has the 95 theses on the door. That's majestic. Yeah. I, on a similar vein, I read a while back about how the, the, the schism 
between the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church came about. Mm-hmm. And the, the famous story is that one day during, I want to say it was Easter Mass in um, Constantinople, mm-hmm. two emissaries from the Pope rolled in and just dumped a bill of excommunication on the altar. Yeah. And we're just like, out! We're done! They dropped the as-yet-to-be-invented microphone. Yeah, exactly. But then the thing I was reading was like, that's just that's just how you delivered communications. Like, that was just the normal way. Of, really? Well, not, not, but I guess it's like, first it was exaggerated. They dumped it on the altar. They probably just handed it to the guy. Yeah. And second, that's just that was a relatively normal way to do things. That might not be true. None of that might be true, but it's what I read. That sounds, that, that sounds right, probably, though. Just a lot of drama to it, but really it was just like, hey, you, you guys still good over there in Constantinople? We're fine in Rome. Everything's cool. You know, Istanbul was Constantinople. Really? Yeah, but now it's Istanbul and not Constantinople. So a long time ago was Constantinople. But uh, we don't, you know, Constantinople got the works, but we don't really know why. But that doesn't sound to me like it's anybody's business but the Turks. Precisely. So we're what so sorry. What the f- is this segment about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was about the Reformation, but now we're ca- talking about the Turks, so oh, I have no idea. Is it okay to call them the Turks? You know, probably. There's, there's still a turkey, right? Yeah, they pardon one every Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst co-host on Earth. Ah, uh, worst or best? One of those. One of the two, definitely. Are we talking about turkey now? Uh, I sure. Tell you I stories. think turkey would be a very strange mechanic for a board game. <laughs> I don't know which turkey I'm talking uh, about anymore. I was going to say that I could tell you stories about Mustafa Kemal Ataturk that would curl your toes. Isn't it Mustafa? Probably. It's like Mufasa, but with a T and some letters switched around. One time I took a uh, Arab Islamic history class. And it was very interesting. We're was like, this the one where the professor put a slide up on the board that just was titled Meast? No. No? That never happened to me. Yes, it did. I don't remember You it. texted me. It was, it was a map of the Middle East, but the file name was Meast. Oh, I remember that now, yeah. Was that that class? Probably. It's awesome. Only, it's really the only class where that would have happened. But uh, we were sitting there, and we got up to modern-day Turkey. And we're talking about it, and he's talking about Ataturk, the founder of modern Turkey. Right. And I'm sitting there at my desk, and I hear this kid at the next next row tables go, "Add a Turk," <laughs> <laughs> and the instructor missed it. But I'm just going like, "Oh my god, that didn't just happen! It was awesome." I don't know who your instructor was, but I can imagine some other teachers that I've had mm-hmm. hearing that while the student had hoped that it was under their breath enough that they wouldn't, and the just ensuing crap storm, mm-hmm. and it, it fills me with glee. It was. It was pretty funny. At a Turk. At a Turk. This was also the professor who was talking about uh, the Turks. Actually, it was earlier in history, the Turks' migration into Anatolia. That Anatolia. Yes, Anatolia, that area of the world. And um, how they they came across the Kurds who were living there. And he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, and Tom, I'm sorry for this. And he oh, says, no. the Kurds were in the way. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm glad you apologized ahead of time, Professor, because that was not okay. <laughs> that was terrible. not okay, sir. Were you the only English uh, English student I in the class? So. I think I was the only English major in the class. He also looked me dead in the eye as he was explaining his um, essay grading policies and was like, and I had to change these because the English majors would come in here and they could just write pages and pages and pages and never say anything. And I'm like... You hurt me, but you make me proud at the same time. Isn't that the entire point of a degree in English? You're like, supposed to say something eventually. No, you're not. It depends on what you're writing about. You're supposed to hit a length, and if you make a point, well, you know. It depends what you're Oops. I, mean, I, think, I think largely that accusation comes from you're making a point that nobody but you and the instructor care about. Oh, well, that's the case with papers. Period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 certainly not well, making assigned a, papers. Anyway, you're certainly not making a case that's universally interesting, but you are supposed to eventually reach some some version of a point. I had a teacher who spent a fair amount of of uh, of our semester just teaching us how to BS. He was like, "This is something you're going to need mm-hmm. to do in college, so here's how to do it. Mm-hmm. Trick me into thinking you wrote a paper." <laughs> I thought it was pretty valuable valuable yeah it yeah i suppose 
if the point of college is to get a degree, then oh god, can we please not go down that? that Let's talk about board road, games. That, that horrible bastard of a road here. I, I, listen, <laughs> listen. I still, I still have idealism. Damn it! I will break you of it. One I teach day. at a community college, but I still have ideas. That's not true. I really like my students at community college. All six of them. All six of them. Yes, it's a very small class this semester, but they. They're earnest. They put forth. Are all of them named Ernest? Yes, it's very awkward, including the 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 girl is the weird one for that <laughs> name, really. But uh, they put forth effort. They ask reasonably good questions. They are a good group. I like them. Board games, board games, board games, board games, board games. Not the Reformation anymore. Hey, listen, just come on. We've got ten minutes. Oh, okay, so the t- yeah. This- <laughs> terrible segment though. it's so, so bad yeah so the second segment of the podcast was titled weird wild and unorthodox mechanics it's probably good that we spent the time on the reformation then how wouldn't wouldn't could nailing things to a door be a mechanic uh probably not one that yeah you could try it we, you probably wouldn't get in stores you might be able to kickstart it to lutherans the box <laughs> <laughs> to like disgruntled like Lutheran teens who are like, I'm Lutheran, but I'm angry about it, but I'm still Lutheran. So like, you know, me in high school. <laughs> uh, the box just comes with some parchment and nails. It's just, yeah. Supply parchment your nails. own hammer. Yeah, supply your own hammer. I love it. <laughs> hammer not included. Nope, pens too, I guess. Nope. It comes with a quill, but no ink. <laughs> but a recipe to make ink out of like berries. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Do Lutherans make ink out of berries? No, but I don't know. What did they make ink out of then? Ink from like squids? Yes. That would be an unorthodox mechanic. Also, Lutheranism is, I guess, unorthodox in a way. So yeah, that's great true. segue. Every I saw a tweet from someone I don't even know who. Someone we probably follow, uh-huh. who I should probably know about, is the person who manages our Twitter account. Sorry people who are friends with us on social media uh who, who is saying podcast hosts if you say that's a great segue it isn't anymore <laughs> and that's a great segue into uh board games unorthodox unorthodox so we're thinking like what if you had a game that had mechanics about nailing stuff into it or what if you used the shape or size of the table to determine some factor of your game like we already do this in D D with if you fall if your dice fall on the floor you don't get to use them anymore um and they belong to the dm now but uh what about that kind of crazy off the wall crap like that is it a good idea or is it just stupid gimmicky garbage that just exists to be people like isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard of in board gaming as as, as a warhammer person previously you not me isn't using the size and shape of the table not all that unorthodox? Like, isn't that what you do? Uh, technically, it's just a really big board. Right, but like, if you had a smaller table, you just have a smaller battlefield, right? Yeah, kind of. You can put some lumps in it or whatever, but... Yeah, it's just a smaller battlefield at that point. Whatever, man, I thought it was a good idea when I wrote the script. There's no script. There's Yeah. So, I guess, like, it's kind of goofy, because if we were to come up with unorthodox mechanics here, we would be coming up with in large part, unused as yet unused mechanics, mm-hmm. which uh, were really not that great. So we haven't. <laughs> Can you think of any games that have done done stuff that you're just like I've never seen that? It's like, truly weird like that. I mean, I guess not all that long ago, app integration like we talked about mm-hmm. would have been unorthodox because mm-hmm. like, oh, you can't do that. Not everyone has a smartphone, or not everyone sure. has the same smartphone, or not everyone. Alchemist kind of nailed it internet. in that. That XCOM game, too. Yeah. Actually, I had a question for you about app integration. Shoot. Because I was thinking about it the other day after um, reading uh, reading that podcast we did about it a while back. Um, one of the nice things about board games is that if I just keep my copies of them and put them in my closet and then I'm 59 and my half-retarded children show up and are like, Daddy, let's play a board game. I'm like, okay, Jeremy, I can just get them down and still play them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They still work. Whereas the- if you keep your, your NES games in the closet, but not an, a functioning NES. Right. And, or if you've got a, a board game that requires an app and you don't have a smartphone that can run that app anymore. Oh, that is interesting. Your game is now broken unless it contains some way to play it without the app, which I know Alchemist does. I don't know if XCOM does, but so does that. 
I mean, how I guess how big of a deal is that? Like Saga Land, which we did in one of our earlier episodes, that game had sat in your basement for how long before Decades. we bucket busted it out, yeah. and it still worked as advertised. Yep, it still had the same same weird germless rules. Eureka as well, yeah, yeah. So, do you lose something that makes a board game a board game by doing that, or is it just kind of a? What do you think about that? I, I think I think the the what makes a board game a board game bit of it is a bit. I don't have a word for it. Stupid. Pretent- pretentious? Yeah. You do lose something and that maybe this won't be accident. I just listened to a podcast the other day about um, the, I don't know. I think it might have been pre-NES. It was the Famicom, which mm-hmm. I guess was the NES. Um, Nintendo released all these games. And, no, oh, maybe it wasn't Nintendo. Some early early 8-bit or maybe 64-bit but mm-hmm. early system um released all these games and hit a point maybe it was atari hit a point where they weren't doing so well all of a sudden they were like oh we're not doing well we'd been just producing games at the same volume mm-hmm. assuming they would continue selling at that volume not accounting for the next generation of systems coming out and ended up with warehouses full of game cartridges that they couldn't sell or that had been returned like millions of them Mm -hmm. and they're like well we need the warehouse space get rid of this and the guy who was the warehouse manager for like the whole company like all the warehouses manager Uh was tasked with getting rid of these and after trying a few things was basically like hey state of whatever where where our offices are uh can we just bury these in a landfill (laughs) and they did and just recently, like, I think it was like 20 years later, there was this, like, these things are priceless now. Mm-hmm. Um, big, there was a media event, and they had all these uh, reporters from different, you know, web news sources and, and TV news sources come out, and they dug them up, like, millions of old, you know, Amiga or whatever, mm-hmm. like, like, E.T. the game cartridges that are worth who knows how much and and dug them up and now they're the property of like that township or county or something but who has a system that can still play them right and i guess that's sort of the case with technology in general as it moves on which is kind of cool about board games that like if you have a brain and can still read the language it's written in Mm -hmm. and it hasn't totally deteriorated to a point where you can't use it anymore you Mm -hmm. can still play this thing you can find old rule sets for, like, Viking board games. I found one a while back for something called, like, Hnaftatl. It was just a Viking board game. It's like, like chess, similar idea. Uh-huh. But you could still play it. You could read their rules and try to decipher it and play it. Oh, man, if anyone's interested in, just briefly here, in the evolution of chess or checkers mm-hmm. um, in different things, uh, find the Stuff You Should Know podcast from How Stuff Works about chess. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, a bunch of different people groups created not identical but incredibly similar strategy games Mm -hmm. to chess and just over the years decades centuries whatever they've sort of glommed amalgamated together into what is now chess and there's still other versions out there but Mm -hmm. like it's it's pretty interesting stuff that that idea of of games like electronic stuff becoming unreadable because you don't have the system to do it anymore. Yeah. It kind of ties into a thing I was reading recently about how the internet from the late 90s is rapidly just not – it's just no longer exists. It's just gone in many cases. And like the Wayback Machine and that's, the internet archives are saving some of it. But even if you do like Flash stops being supported and those websites stop working. Flash, no Flash is going to be gone pretty soon yeah. I think. And like a lot of them, the links are dead, so they don't work the way they should anymore. And Adobe themselves, who owns Flash now, mm-hmm. just came out and they were like, "Hey, there's a huge security hole in Flash, and here's our solution: uninstall Flash." <laughs> so yeah, so all of this stuff like that is just going away, and there's no recourse to to preserve it really. Mm-hmm. Because how would you ever do that? Like, it's not like you can just shove it in a library. You not you have to shove it and all of the software and hardware needed to run it into a into archive a somewhere. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to be gone. Like Homestar Runner, gone. No, isn't it all Flash? It is. Yeah. So once Flash goes away, 
Say goodbye to strong bad emails. No, some enterprising person will convert it all to HTML5 or whatever the new standard mm-hmm. is. Plus, you can get it all on DVD, apparently. Or at least all the strong bad emails. Mm-hmm. So, But you, you take my meaning. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah, then that, that's why this whole whole segment as a concept is kind of hard. Like, uh, weird, wild, unorthodox mechanics. What do you do with that that's not, like, pitching new ideas? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of a lot of games... I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know who do it, did it first. And if I were to pick one and say, "Hey, you know, Space Alert is my my and was my introduction to programming and real time," mm-hmm. I'm sure they weren't the first ones to do either of those things. Sure. If- and to say, "Here's an example of a wild, unorthodox mechanic," would be like, "Screw you, guy who came up with that the first time." Mm-hmm. And who knows who even came up with that the first time? I don't know. I don't. Could have been William Howard Taft. Or Rowdy Roddy Piper. Weird reference, Gerald. <laughs> Did we just reference our own joke on oh, our yeah, own podcast? Yeah. Listen, Tom, <sighs> yeah. don't act like you're upset. It's been our entire lives. If we're not stealing other people's jokes, we're constantly re-referencing the times we made original, wild and unorthodox jokes. <laughs> Great segue! I'm the best. Or maybe not. Would a great segue be one that's like unusually fast or like blinged out or? You know, I don't know. One that doesn't drive you off of a cliff? That would certainly be a good segue. That's what happened to the guy who bought Segway. Yeah. It's very sad. Is it? It's Probably. kind of, well, it's ironic at least. Ironism. Like, you know, Rehiane on your wedding day? Like a free ride when you've already paid? Good advice that you just didn't take. I don't remember the next line. Neither do I. I can hear the cadence of it and her weird voice, craggy way of singing. But I wonder when she's going to do a collaboration with her brother. You lost me. Adam Levine? That's not Avril Levine at all. Yeah, no, Adam Levine, the guy from no, Mar- Mar- Yeah, Mar- right, right. Yeah. But the girl who's that- saying that is not Avril Levine. Oh. Did you think it was? <laughs> apparently yeah who, who, uh, who, does, who sings that song now uh, you see now it's a problem for me because i can't keep cheryl crow and like three other people straight and it's not cheryl crow <laughs> no i don't th- i don't know what a cheryl crow is yeah Let's it's fi- like a crow that's a girl with the name cheryl no don't go straight to irony i'm looking for this other oh, my brother is shouting at the radio right now Oh, Ironic is by Alanis Morissette. That's the one. Okay. Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow. In my mind, the same. Mm-hmm. Until I hear either of their songs and I'm like, they're not even similar. They're just some of the only females who were popular in that part of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so... But not Avril Lavigne. Right, not Avril. But but, they, I, but I do think Avril Lavigne and Adam Lavigne should do like a siblings album at yeah, some point. Yeah, we've they're... had this conversation before about how they're not related and it's not even spelled the same and you're dumb. Oh. I forgot that conversation. Yeah, I know. You're real dumb. Well, we haven't even really begun to touch on our uh, stated topic for this segment. (laughs) It's probably for the best. But it's well beyond the time that we continue subjecting you to whatever it is that we're doing here. (laughs) So, if you have better suggestions for topics that we might actually know anything whatsoever about you could let us know on twitter at mildly alarming you could send us an email show at g <laughs> send us an email show <laughs> Do you want- i'm not editing out your shame continue talking you you could send us an email show at mildly alarming show at gmail.com you could leave a comment show on our website show at <laughs> www.mildlyalarmingshow, the third show was intentional, dot com, or on Facebook. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. It's mildlyalarming.com or on Facebook.com slash mildlyalarmingshow. That show was intentional. My shame is as great as Tom's now. We're also on iTunes where please leave us a review. At this point, it can be a one-star review. At least it would tell us what to change. We have two reviews on iTunes right now. We just want some exposure. Please put something there. We also are on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and probably other places. Who frickin' knows? Or just 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 send us something, any way of communicating you want, because like that was pretty sad, that display of begging over there. And <laughs> I don't 
I don't know if he's gonna. I don't. I don't know, man. It's it's. It looks rough. Looks rough. We need to end before I cry into my microphone and it shorts out, and we can't afford to replace it. We podcast in a box. See you next week. Good night. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual emergency, the long, wet fart noise you just heard would have been followed by information and instruction, which hopefully you would still have time to benefit from. Additional information and instruction would be preceded by longer, wetter fart noises. This concludes the test of the emergency podcast system. We now return to whatever is queued up in your playlist next.